If you could turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 10, and we'll start reading in verse 17, Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, Mark chapter 10 and in verse 17, this is a familiar story, I think, for those that perhaps have read the Bible through or have been to church growing up. This certainly is a story that we are familiar with. But in Mark chapter 10 and in verse 17, the Bible says, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all of these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Let's open with a word of prayer as we go into the message this evening. Lord, we thank you for today, we thank you for this lesson, and what it means to me, as I'll be explaining in just a little bit. But Lord, I'm so grateful for your word and that it's timeless. This message can be preached over and over again years and years ago and still means so much today because your word is alive. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for being with us. And please just bless this service. Now we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as... I mentioned this morning, and Pastor just mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, today's sermon is special to me because just about almost exactly two weeks ago, uh, we got the news that my grandfather had passed away and went home to be with the Lord. And he was 82 years young, and he, he was a good grandpa. And I am honored and blessed to be a part of his lineage, to be a part of his line, to, to bear the last name Taylor. I am privileged to be who I am today, and a lot of that is credited to my grandpa, who trained my father, who, of course, trained me, and I am excited today to get to preach a message that he preached, and I don't know the exact dates. I have his Bible here with me. This is a Bible that he gave me before I moved up here to Canada, before I officially began my my pastoralship, I guess, my assistant pastoralship here at Grace Baptist Church. He gave me this Bible and challenged me to read it. And as I go to the back of the Bible, there are quite a few different different outlines here. I don't expect you to actually see them from there. Next time you come by, I'll let you look at them if you want. But he's got a lot of his sermons dated here. This particular sermon doesn't have a date on it, but the sermon right after it has a date. It's, uh, let's see, January, February, March, April 14th, 1985. 
So this probably was written sometime before uh, 1985, perhaps, or maybe in the same year. And as I go through my grandpa's Bible and I begin to look over these old sermons that, and old sermon outlines that he has, I would say at least 75% of all his outlines have something to do with the gospel, with salvation, and pleading people to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And what an honor, what a privilege to have a Bible filled with outlines pointing people to Jesus Christ. And this sermon is really just the same, pointing people to the Lord. And this sermon here, the rich young ruler, as it's often called, is mentioned, is talked about in the book of Matthew, here in Mark, and also in Luke. And in different passages, we find that this is indeed a young guy who was some form of a ruler. How young he was, we're not sure. Some people say uh, Paul calls Timothy young, and some people say Timothy could have been 30s, 40s. So young, I guess, is subjective, I suppose. But he was a young guy. And we come to this passage, and as I begin to read the outline here presented by my grandpa, I begin to take a different outlook on this young fella. Perhaps he was my age, I don't know, but I'm young, 30, but I'm young. The rich young ruler. Let's get into the story, and I'll explain how my perception of him has changed as I've been studying this outline in comparison with God's Word and what he has for us today. Now, I do have a PowerPoint outline for you today, and the only reason I have that specifically for you is because everything on the PowerPoint that you see is exactly as written in the back of the Bible. These are, this is the outline given by my grandpa. So if you're a young preacher out there, you like to take notes, you can write this down and you could date it somewhere in 1985 or earlier, and uh, you can use that as an illustration somehow. I'm not sure how. But in Mark chapter 10 and verse 17, we come to a young man. I'm going to read the first verse, verse 17. And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus has, has had a pretty busy day, if you want to read the verses prior. And he was getting ready to get up and go to a different location, a different place. Jesus was always on the move. And this young guy comes running up to Jesus. Now my grandfather, he titled this message, Lovely But Lacking. Lovely But Lacking. And that title will make sense as we progress through the message. Why is it exactly that Jesus would consider this young man lovely but lacking? Well, the first thing we have written down here, the first thing we all want us to see is a word of congratulation. A word of congratulation. Now, this young man, as you see in verse 21, Jesus tells him that he's lacking something in his life. But in verse 17, we see some things he's not lacking in. He's not lacking in. The first thing we can see that he's not lacking in is respectability. Respectability. In verse 17, it says, When he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. This is Jesus. This young man who we find out was a ruler. He 
was the head of some kind of a group. And there's lots of speculation as to what he could have been a ruler over. But no matter the difference, he was a man of authority, of respectability. He was a guy that no doubt people respected. He had money too. Usually people who have wealth, they often get respected, sometimes not in the right way. But here's a guy, we see him running. And this idea of running is an indication, really, it could be an indication of his humility. He lay aside the grandeur and the, the gravity of being this ruler when he came to Christ by showing earnestness. He was, he was showing some sincereness, some importunity, as we just heard from our story. He ran as one in haste. He was longing for this conversation with Christ. He had now this opportunity of consulting with this great prophet. Now, Jesus was more than a great prophet. But to this young ruler, he was a, this, is, he, this was a meeting he didn't want to miss. Maybe he'd been trying to rearrange his schedule to be in the same town as Jesus. And this was his moment. His time had come. And he could see Jesus getting ready to leave. So he ran. He didn't want to miss. He put aside his authority, his figure. Oh, people might think I, I look straight. No, he didn't care. He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted. And as he ran, the first thing he did is he kneeled to him. He kneeled in a token of the great value that he had for him. As a teacher from God, his earnestness desire to be taught. The first thing he does in verse 17 is he runs. Secondly, he kneels. He kneels before him. Kneeling has always been a, a sign of respect. In fact, it's, it's recommended that when you talk to God, at the very least, you kneel. You kneel in reverence, in honor, in respect. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lowering of oneself and allowing someone else to be higher than you, to be raised above. He kneeled to Jesus. It's interesting in verse, in the same, uh, if you were to, we're not going to, you don't have to turn there, but if you were to go to Luke chapter 10 in verse 25, we actually see a lawyer talking to Jesus, but not kneeling. In fact, the Bible says specifically that he stood. In Luke 10, 25, the Bible says, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the same question that this rich young ruler asks. It's the same question, except this guy is a lawyer, and this guy, the Bible specifically says, was tempt tempting him. Tempting him and showing no respect. He didn't kneel before Christ. He stood up. So, this is the reverse. This guy was running to Jesus. He fell at his feet. He didn't lack in respectability. And of course, what's the first thing he says to Jesus? Two words. Good master. Master meaning teacher. This was also the continuing a sign of respect to Jesus. He greeted him in a way that was honorable to Jesus. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? 
Now, later on down in verse 21, Jesus reveals to this rich young ruler that he's lacking something. But one thing he's not lacking in is respectability. This young guy has that. There's a second thing he's not lacking in. He's, in, in, he's not lacking in morality. He's not lacking in his morality. If you look in verse 20, after Jesus, after this rich young guy asked Jesus this, this very important question, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And by the way, that may be one of the most important questions of all time. How could I inherit? How could I live on forever? How could I? Well, what's going to happen to me after I die? You know, how could I continue on in life? That's an important question to ask. Jesus, in verse 19, he says, well, you know, you, you know the commandments. Don't commit adultery, kill, steal, uh, bear false witness, don't defraud, don't, uh, make sure you honor your father and mother. He gives them this list in verse 20. In verse 20, this is how the rich young ruler replies to Jesus. He says, well, master, all of these have I observed from my youth. From my youth. Now, he was already a young guy. But he's saying, oh, Jesus, I already, I, I have, I've observed all these. I've, I've followed these. Now, I used to think that this guy was prideful in saying that statement. I mean, someone, I suppose if you've lived in church and you have a relationship with Jesus, and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you probably wouldn't answer that way, right? If Jesus said, basically, you know, how are you at keeeping the commandments? My answer would be, oh, I'm, I'm not good. <laughs> I, would, I would try to act in more of a, a humble way. I, I kind of always seen this rich young ruler replying in sort of a prideful way. But let's look at it from his perspective. Here's a guy who obviously seemed to have lived a pretty good life. Perhaps his parents uh, followed the law. They followed the Bible. Let's look at the things Jesus asks of him in verse 19. It says, well, thou, you know the commandments. Thou shalt not or do not commit adultery. This was a young guy. Chances are he had never committed adultery before. He, he wasn't lying here. Well, I haven't done that. And I imagine there's a lot of people in our world today, hopefully the majority, that could say the same thing. Oh, I've never done that. Do not kill. I'm glad that the rich young guy hadn't committed that one. And I would assume that the majority of our world could agree with that. I've never killed anybody. Do not steal. Now, generally, when we think of steal, we think of, you know, armed robbery. We, we think of, uh, you know, a bank. We, we don't think of petty theft. We think of, you know, walking into a store and, and hurting somebody to steal something, you know, or pointing a gun and stealing money. So that's why not steal. Perhaps that's the first thing this guy thought of. Well, I've never really stolen anything major. Yeah, candy for my brother, maybe. You know, I may have... Uh, taken a few things from my parents, but they, they didn't really amount to much. Okay, next thing, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's lying, basically. That's lying. Now, we've all lied before. I don't need to explain that. Just think of it for a minute. Think of your past. Maybe even today you told just a, they call it a white lie. There's no such thing as a small lie or big lie. It's, it's all a lie. But once again, he's probably thinking in the moment, I've never told anything major that's gotten somebody really hurt before. Uh, 
defraud. Says, uh, do not bear false witness, defraud not, you know, don't cheat, don't, and there's, you can get more into detail in these words, but, you know, it's trying try to be honest, and he's probably thinking, yeah, generally I'm a pretty honest guy, and then the last one here, honor thy father and thy mother. He probably thought, well, I love my parents, I love them to death, yeah, I, you know, I, I probably got disciplined a few times for disobeying them, but generally speaking, at my point in life now, I love my parents. And honestly, I think, he reacted in the way that the average person in our world today would react. They would look at this and say, well, according to this list, I would say I'm, I'm pretty good. Jesus asked him, have you kept these commandments? And in uh, verse 20, he says, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Notice he says observe. And you study this more, you, you look at the passages in Matthew and in, and in Luke. What he's trying to say is, Lord, I've, I've pretty much kept these. I'm not perfect, Lord, but I'm pretty good in this area. I'm pretty good. So he wasn't lacking in morality. You know, from the outside, people probably thought highly of this young man. He was a pretty good person. He probably, um, well, let's look at the, the next thing here. He wasn't lacking in, let's see the first one. He wasn't lacking in respectability. He was a, a respectable guy. He kneeled before Jesus. He wasn't lacking in morality. And next thing he wasn't lacking in was outward religion. Outward religion, or you can say sincerity. Because look what Jesus says in verse 19. Thou knowest the commandments. Thou knowest the commandments. Jesus knew this guy. He knows everybody. He, he knows what you're thinking right now. Jesus knew this young man, and he says... You know the commandments. And I have a feeling that Jesus was telling the truth, because he always does. This young guy probably grew up going to the synagogue, listening to God's word, listening to the Bible, listening to the law being spoken. And I also believe that he showed sincere religion, sincere uh, sincerity here, because look in verse, uh, let's see here, in verse 20, he says that he has observed all these things from my youth up. Verse 21, Jesus tells him what he's lacking in. We're going to look at that in just a second. But in verse 22, he basically finds out that he doesn't have what it takes to inherit eternal life. And in verse 22, the Bible says he was sad at that saying. And he went away grieved. This hurt him. He really wanted this. He could have had it, by the way. He really wanted it. He was sincere in his compassion for Jesus. He really had something he wanted to give him, but he just wasn't ready at that moment to give, to do what was necessary to inherit eternal life. I think this guy did know the law. He knew the commandments. He was a good person. Not only that, but we see here, and the last thing that he wasn't lacking in was orthodoxy. Or in creed. Think of the question that he asked Jesus. I mean, you could have asked him any question. This is a, in his eyes, this was a great prophet of God. What did he choose to ask Jesus? This obviously was a burning question in his heart. He ran to him to ask him this question. Master, what shall I do? that I may inherit 
eternal life. Did I mention that this could possibly be the most important question of all time? He asked it. And he asked it to the right person, might I add. If you read the Bible, there's two groups that are always at odds with each other. The Pharisees and the, what was the other group? Sadducees, right? They're always going at, and there were more political groups than this, religious groups, but these are the two that always pop up, and they're always attacking each other. Well, if you study much about these two groups, the Sadducees were known to be people who did not believe in the resurrection, and the Sadducees were also a group of people that did not believe in eternal life. Now, the Pharisees argue about this. The Pharisees were very much the law. Whatever the Bible said, the Bible talked about heaven and eternal life, and oh boy, they would go back and forth on this. This young guy here, he obviously was not affiliated with this Sadduceical group. He was leaning more towards the Pharisaical group, those that really studied and, and believed the law. What are you trying to get at, Pastor Tim? This was a sincere guy, a sincere good guy. He was young, he had wealth, but he obviously people respected him. He had a sincere burning question he wanted to ask Jesus, and, it, and he really wanted it to be done. I think there's a lot of good people in our world today who are sincere, who are searching for the truth. Yet when they hear the truth, they're just not quite ready commit. Because this is what Jesus' reply was. So we've seen here, number one, a word of congratulations, really congratulating this young man. But number two here, we have a word of warning. A word of warning. Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 19, thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And his reply, Master, I've, I've kept all these things. Verse 21, then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. That's important. Because what Jesus was about to say is going to hurt a little bit. But Jesus loved this young man said unto him, one thing thou lackest. One thing thou lackest. See, this young man was lovely, but he was lacking something. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come Take up the cross and follow me. What a statement to make. See, Jesus knew this young fellow's heart. He can look into his eyes, into his soul, and he knew everything about him, his past. He knew this was a young ruler. He knew this guy had money. Because in verse 22, at the end, he was grieved for he had great possessions. He had a lot of money. Jesus said 
you're lacking one thing. You may have been keeping those commandments that I mentioned, but there's something you're missing. And the first thing we see here under a word of warning is that he lacked the right kind of knowledge. He lacked the right kind of knowledge. Perhaps this young man who thought good of himself, maybe even not in a, in a prideful way, maybe even in a humble way, but sincerely saying, Lord, what more could I do to inherit eternal life? And that's really the problem. Look at his question again in verse 17. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? That's the problem. Is there's nothing that he could do. He was hoping that there was something he could add maybe to his shelf, something, some extra prayer he can say, or some, maybe some, you know, some small advice. Or maybe he was just hoping for a pat on the back, for a thumbs up, saying, you know what, you're a pretty good guy. Just keep living the way you are. Maybe that's what he was hoping for. Oh, he wasn't ready for the curveball that Jesus threw at him. You see, because he had his knowledge wrong, he was asking it, he was asking, wondering what he could do to inherit eternal life. But what he didn't realize is there is nothing that you or I can do to inherit eternal life. There is nothing you or I can do to live with Jesus forever and ever someday, to, to be a Christian. There's nothing that you or I could, could, could do that's good enough. Jesus had to be the one to do it. And this young man didn't quite understand this at this time. He lacked the right kind of knowledge, but secondly here, he lacked a full surrender to Christ. He lacked a full surrender to Christ. What did Jesus ask of him? He said, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. He was asking him to give up his possessions. Sell it to the poor and follow me. Now, did Jesus really need his money? No. Did he want his possessions? He could care less. He wouldn't have done it. Even if they had given it to him, he probably would have just given it to his disciples. He He would have given it to the poor, those that needed it. He didn't need or want his money, and that is not the point. You see, this young man had an overwhelming affection for the things of this world. His riches were his idol on which his heart was set, and in which he trusted in, perhaps. Wherefore, he was so far from keeping all the commandments that he forgot about the very first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God knew right from the start. Jesus knew that this young man, he was a good guy, and, but there was something he was missing. Jesus didn't want or need his possessions. He only wanted his heart. He wanted his heart. This young man didn't even need to give up his possessions in order to give Christ his heart. Because there are some wealthy people in our world today who love God, who worship him, who, who give their time, their talents, their treasures to Christ. He's not saying that you have to be poor in order to, to, to accept Christ and to live forever in eternity. Jesus was trying to get this young man to search his heart to think about what he truly values in life. Jesus, with this question, caused the young man to step back and ask himself, what do I love more than my possessions? 
we know in verse 22 what his answer was. And that's an interesting question for Jesus to ask us today. Jesus wanted to show this young man where his heart truly was. So I ask you today, where is your heart? Maybe you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know if you were to die today, you know for sure that you would spend eternity in heaven. Maybe that's you listening. Where is your heart? Where has it gone? Remember the day you got saved? Where are you at now? With all the craziness going on in our world, with uh, this crashing and, and this uncertain and this shit foggy and, and this, uh, this scary and this fearful, where has your heart gone to? Maybe over the years, God gave you a nice job and you've let that job take you away from God. Maybe over the years, you've let sin creep into your life and now your heart is not where it once was. Where is your heart? Is there something in your life you'd be willing to give up to be closer to God? Now, perhaps you're listening to this message and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You, you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. I ask you the same question. Where is your heart? It may not be in a bad place, but if your heart is not if God is not first in your hearts, then seeking eternal life is going to be difficult. Eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Because this third point here, in lacking one thing, he lacked all. In lacking this one thing, he lacked an all. The cause of Christ requires full surrender. Not that you actually have to physically give up everything in your life as Jesus was suggesting this young ruler to do, but to be willing to lay it all at Jesus' feet, which Jesus knew this young ruler could not do. This is why Jesus makes this statement a few verses later. We're in Mark chapter 10, look in verse 23. After the young man walks away from the Lord with his head down. Jesus turns around and looks about in verse 23, and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished at, out of measure, saying amongst themselves, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. You or I today cannot ever do. We don't have what it takes to inherit eternal life. It's impossible to us. But for God, all things are possible because God made a way for us to have our sins forgiven. He makes a statement. It's very difficult for a guy who's wealthy, who's rich in life. He has everything he thinks he needs in life to make him happy. You think of these all-stars, these, these uh, athletes, these movie stars, some of these people who have tons and tons of money, these business people, these CEOs, they have all this money. But if you were to really search their heart and try them, you would find out that 
there's still something missing in their life because no amount of money and wealth can fill that gap, that void. No amount of love or even family can fill that void. There's only one thing, one person that can fill that void, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in lacking this one thing, this rich young guy lacked it all. Unfortunately, this is why many people have to, you know, so to speak, hit rock bottom before they find Christ. Because when things are going well in their life, they don't think they need Jesus. But it's when everything goes away, they realize all their friends they thought they had aren't there, and, and the job they thought they could rely on is not there anymore, and their, their wit and their IQ, their knowledge has failed, and now they, they don't know where to turn. Now they turn to Jesus. You don't have to hit rock bottom. You can accept Christ as your Savior today. Jesus Christ, in this passage, he hadn't done it yet. A few chapters later, Jesus would eventually die and go to the cross. He would, be, he would give himself as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Because you, or I, you and I have sinned, and our sin is separating us from Christ, from God, from having fellowship with him. And there's nothing you can do to break that separation, to, to make you closer to God, because your sin is what's separating you. You can keep doing all the good in the world you want. You can go to church every day of the week, and that's not good enough. You can, you can be a good son to your, to your parents. You can be a good daughter. You can be a good sibling. You can be the best coworker, and you can be the most giving person to the poor. None of that matters. None of that is good enough because there's nothing you or I can do to inherit eternal life. It's all through Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that you or I, we were helpless. And it took Jesus Christ, who never sinned, to die on the cross, to have his blood shed, to forgive your sins, to take all the sins that you've committed and place it upon himself to make a way for you and I to someday have eternal life, to inherit eternal life. This leads us to our final point here, a word of direction. How can, what can we take away from what we've seen here from this young guy? He had some positive things about him, but unfortunately his negative in the end will outweigh his positive. What do we find here from this passage? Jesus is telling us, to first of all, give up your idols. Give up that which is being placed ahead of God in your life. I'm speaking to Christians and non-Christians. Consider your life today. Where, where is God at in your to-do list? Where is God at on the amounts uh, on your timetable throughout the day, throughout the week? What's been placed ahead of God? What are some idols in your life? For this young ruler, what was it? <laughs> His possessions his riches, his wealth. Maybe that's ahead of God in your life. I, I, gotta, I gotta keep working. I, I gotta work this Sunday because uh, I need a, uh, it's double time, you know, and I got, I, I got some bills. I'll only do it once though. I'll just do it this once. And then that once leads to two times and to three times. I remember growing up uh, in our youth group. I had a really small youth group growing up. There was like three of us. I said three, I just put up four fingers. Uh, there was like three or four of us. How about that? Uh, I'll include myself. There we go. So that's four. That's what I meant to say. There was four of us. And I remember 
And we were basically all the same age. So we all went to Bible college at the same time. And I remember that uh, there was one of us in our, in our group that was financially dependent on their parents, which is sort of common. And the parents chose, the dad chose, instead of just seeking God's face and asking God to help him financially send you know, his, his child through college, he thought it best to start working on Sundays. Now, Sundays offered time and a half. And he would make, I mean, he would make a lot of money just by committing to work on Sunday, but he was able to justify it in his mind by saying, well, I'm sending my daughter to a Christian school, so it's worth it. It's worth it. Unfortunately, that, that parents today is no longer with his original Life and he ended up stopped going to church altogether. I think he might be back in church now, but he had a good many, many years of his life where he eventually found himself far and far away from God. And it all started back. He was even youth director of our church at one time. It all started back with that decision. What's in your life ahead of God? A job? Is it money? Is it just having fun time? Is it sin? I don't know what it is, but search your heart. Second word of direction, give up your hindrances. Give up your hindrances. What is getting in the way of your relationship with God today? Is it hobbies? Is it sports? Is it games? Is it friends? I don't know. The list can go on and on. Is it family? Family is not a bad thing, but is it getting in the way of your, your relationship with Jesus? Is it a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend? I don't know what it is. Search your hearts. And last thing here, take up your cross and follow me. That's what Jesus, that's the last thing Jesus told this young man. Take up the cross and follow me. The cross was a symbol of death. Especially in this time in history, in this time in history, the cross meant a horrific death. Torturing and brutaling and nailed to a cross and hanging there for hours and hours till you suffocate and die. It was awful. Now, this wouldn't really make the full impact until a few, uh, I guess, maybe a year or so later when Jesus would die on the cross would be the perfect example. What are you willing to give up to inherit eternal life? Jesus carried his cross. He gave his life so that you and I today could have eternal life. A lot of times people won't accept Christ because there's something in your life you don't want to give up. Ah, oh, if I could become a Christian, I, gotta, I can't act this way. I can't joke around like that anymore. I can't play this or I can't watch that and I can't act this way anymore. It's just not worth it. Maybe I'll get saved later on in my life, you know, right before I die, I'll accept Christ. Once I have done everything I wanted to do and live life for myself. It may seem like a sacrifice at first, but once you have Jesus in your life, those petty things that you're clinging to, will seem so small and insignificant down the road. 
something right now you find fun and you can't imagine your life without, once you've allowed Christ in your life, you'll find you don't even want that anymore. You don't need it anymore. My dad always gives this illustration. Growing up, and he, uh, especially when we were missionaries, he, he would always talk about when he turned 18 or 19, or however old he was when he moved out of the house, there was one thing for sure that my dad loved and was obsessed with, and that is sports. And even to this day, he does like sports. He appreciates sports. But there was a time in his life where he would be the first to tell you, he would say that baseball was my God. Baseball, sports was number one in my life. It, 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 was, it, it was what I thought about the most. It was what I planned to do. It was what I enjoyed the most. It was baseball. It was sports. And once my dad regave his life back to Jesus and began to fully surrender his life and just live for him, he didn't sell all his possessions. He didn't he didn't uh, quit his job right then and there. But once he just gave his life to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to live for you. Slowly over the years, that love, that passion for sports began to dwindle and fade. Now, you ask him today, do you like sports? Oh, he'd say yes. He loves to get out and grab the baseball and glove. And every time we go back over there, we like to grab the frisbee and throw it as far as we can and, and go golfing. He still loves sports, but... It isn't number one anymore. It isn't number two or three. It's just, it's just something he does on occasion now. But he doesn't miss it. There's not this hole left in his heart. His heart is more full than it ever was because something like sports can never truly satisfy you. Once he removed sports and play, replaced it with Jesus, it's the happiest life he's ever lived. My grandpa lived a happy life. And I know there was his trials and his ups and his downs like all humans go through. But he had Jesus Christ in his life to get him through those ups and those downs. There's one quote from my grandpa he has in the back of his Bible. His quote is this. What would you give after your soul is lost forever in hell? What would you give after your soul is lost forever in hell? You can look at Romans 10, 13. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call upon the name of the Lord today. But you know, the rich young ruler didn't do that. Verse 22, when Jesus told him to take up his cross and follow me, verse 22, he was sad. And he went away grieved because he couldn't do that. I hope he did eventually. But at this point in his life, he wasn't ready for it. You don't have to be like this rich young ruler. You can inherit eternal life today. You can call, cry out to Jesus today. You can search your heart. Find out what's stopping you from giving your life to Jesus. Confess your sins and believe that Jesus is the one true God of this world. I'll say it again. What would you give after your soul is lost forever in hell?